0: Well, uh, you know, growing up, one of the things that I really enjoyed to do during the summer was play the game of wiffle ball. Anybody ever played the game of wiffle ball before? There's, you know, it depends on who you're playing with. You might change the rules a little bit, but it's basically the condensed version of baseball. And it's fun because these holes on the top make you feel like you can throw a legit slider or a curveball, and it goes up, it goes down, you know, sideways, uh, it's awesome. And then you've got a, an easier bat to swing. And so uh, from the ages of like nine to 15, I spent so much of my summers playing the game of wiffle ball with friends. and. Being from Massachusetts, you know, we would try to find a field with trees in left field to, to simulate uh, Fenway Park and the Green Monster. We would get the newspaper, look at the stats, and be trying try to be those players. It was awesome. And a good friend of mine that I'm still friends with uh, to, this, to this day, we, we played a lot of wiffle ball together. And then, you know, high school happened, and he's at a different high school, and he went away and played college ball. And sometime in my mid-20s, I got a chance to reconnect with him, and we said, you know what we should do? We should go play some wiffle ball. And, And somehow in my mind, I thought, well, this is gonna be fun. We've done this many, many times. Well, he crushed me. It was painful to the point where I had to swallow my pride, shake his hand, and say, well, that wasn't as fun as it used to be. The reason for this is because he continued to play and I stopped. He got better and I got a whole lot worse. You see, isn't it interesting in life how that works where it doesn't it does it takes no effort for things to get worse. See, I can I think we can all agree that without effort relationships begin To fall apart. This same thinking, you can take it to your finances, that if you just take your finances and you set them and forget them, eventually you're going to have a mess to deal with. Physical health, mental health, you just set it and forget it, eventually you're going to have a mess. You're going to have some things to, to work through. And this same thinking can be applied to a relationship with Jesus that if we never take the time to intentionally invest in a relationship with him eventually we describe that relationship as empty or not what it used to be the the honeymoon period of of coming to Christ has come to an end and it's you know that, that that feeling that that enthusiasm that passion is starting to fade and you're thinking what what happened what's changed now, if you've ever been there before, and I've, I've been there before, the gravitational pull and the, the temptation is either, maybe it wasn't real, maybe, maybe I, it, I didn't really have a genuine coming to Christ so I just left and I figured out something else to do. Or you sit to yourself, you say to yourself, something needs to change, I need to get to work, I need to do some things differently. But, but the temptation in that moment is, is to be confused because the gospel message is that we're saved through grace not our works. And yet when the relationship stalls out, the gravitational pull is to stop and say, well, I need to go to work. How how does that work? Because I thought Christianity was different, that I didn't earn a relationship with God and that that I'm defined by what Jesus did and it's not about works, and yet now to grow in a relationship with Jesus, it becomes about works. So how do I deal with this tension? I think it can be resolved in this way. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. You see, the gospel message is that we're defined by Jesus' resume, not our own. The gospel message says that the gift of grace is exactly that it's a gift, we take it and receive it. It's something better than what we deserve. And then this mercy is instead of God giving us what we deserve, the consequences of our sin, God extends mercy. And there's nothing that we do to receive that. It's given to us. And yet, after we've received this gift, there's some effort that needs to take place. We don't earn this new life with God, but this new lifestyle takes effort. And that if we just simply say, you know, I'm just saved by grace and it's all covered and I don't have to do anything at all, eventually you get to this point where you feel this disconnect with Jesus. You see, here's where we left off last week. And I'm going to read from the the message translation. And and for some of you that might, you know, if you grew up in the church, you're thinking, oh, I don't know, you can't read the message because it's not King James. And then NIV came along and that pushed the envelope. And now he's reading from the message. It's okay. I'll read your email this week. It'll be fine. (laughs) So I enjoy the message because it's just crystal clear and there's this passion and enthusiasm that comes along with it. So it says, so come on, let's leave the preschool finger painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art and grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place, turning your back on salvation by self-help, meaning again, we're defined by Christ's resume, not our own, and turning in trust towards God, the repentance, changing our mind about who he is And what he's done. And then baptismal instructions. We respond by publicly displaying our faith in Christ. Laying on of hands. We're sending people out into ministry. Resurrection of the dead. That one day our bodies are restored. We're new creations. There's something to hope for in Christ. Apart from Christ, there's eternal judgment. And that we'll be judged by our own works and not Christ. God helping us. So we'll stay true to all of that. But there's so much more. I love this. Let's get on with it. And so Hebrews, as I said last week, was written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews, telling Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. And this was simply because uh, the, the gravitational pull for all of us is to always go back to what's familiar and comfortable. That the moment they were challenged to follow after Jesus and persecution started to take root within their communities, Like, I could go back to rituals and the religion that's comfortable to me, or I could follow after Jesus and I might get stoned, I might get crucified, I might lose my standing within the community. So, you know what, I'll just go back to doing what I used to do. And so the message that we looked at last week is simple, but it shouldn't be overlooked in that we long for depth, but often settle for shallow. And so what's interesting to me is that historically we can go back in time and we can see that at one point humanity communicated through symbols before we developed language. And yet many, many years later, how are we communicating? Through symbols. We, we, we have this diverse list of languages that are beautiful, and yet we resort to emojis and word pictures and Memes. And this is problematic when it comes to something as profound as the message of Christianity because the challenge is that Christianity doesn't easily conform to a word limit or carefully crafted picture. And the moment that we try to take Christianity through a tweet or share it through social media, it can do more damage than good. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Maybe you've done this before. I've done this before. Maybe you've seen this before. Hashtag blessed. Have you seen this before on social media? So the team wins, right? Hashtag blessed. New car in the driveway, hashtag blessed. My favorite is the beach shot, only the toes. Listen, feet out of, of the human body, why we choose the feet, I don't know. But, but it's just the feet shot with the ocean in the background, hashtag blessed. You know, the beautiful family shot, okay? Uh, You know, forget moments before that, everyone was like on top of each other arguing, you know, but for three seconds, everybody smiles, geez, hashtag blessed. You get the job, you get the career, you move into the new house, hashtag blessed. Now, what that communicates to those on the other side of it is, well, maybe I'm not blessed because I don't have the career, I don't have the perfect family, I'm not chilling on the beach, so does that mean that I've done something wrong when it comes to my standing with God? Does that mean that you know, there's some sort of you know, sin that I need to repent from in my life so that I can become hashtag blessed? No, the gospel message is this. We are living from blessing, not for blessing. See, see the message of the gospel is that when we place our faith and confidence in Jesus, you are blessed, done. And that if all you have is a relationship with Jesus, you are blessed. And once we've received that blessing, we dive deeper into that blessing and discover the rich riches that we have through our Savior, our Creator, our Protector, our Defender, our Lord, our Savior. You see, regardless of what you believe to be true about Jesus— is that we can all resonate that when it comes to relationships, depth in any relationship is dependent upon dependence. And that, think about your friendships, your, your, your deep friendships, lifelong friendships, you've probably gone through, through some stuff together. There's, there's probably some trust that was developed along the way that they showed up for you. Think about uh, the type of work environments that people love to be a part of. There's probably trust on that team depending upon one another. Sports, look, to, look at championships. It's never just one star athlete. Isn't that interesting? They have to develop a team, and even in that, they have to learn how to depend and work together. There's dependence. And the same can be said when it comes to Jesus, that the greater that we press into him, the more that we depend upon him, the, the more that we increase our trust, suddenly, We feel closer to him, there's a connection. The, The author of Hebrews continues, he explains it this way. Once people have seen the light, gotten a taste of heaven, and been part of the work of the Holy Spirit, once they've personally experienced the sheer goodness of God's word and the powers breaking in on us, if then they turn their backs on it, washing their hands of the whole thing, well, they can't start over as if nothing happened. It's impossible. Why they've re-crucified Jesus? They've repudiated him in public. They, uh, the, the parched ground that soaks up the rain and then produces an abundance of carrots and corn for its gardener gets God's well done. But if it produces weeds and thistles, it's more likely to get cussed out. Fields like that are burned, not harvested. I'm sure that won't happen to you, friends. I have better things in mind for you, salvation things. God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him by helping needy Christians and that you keep at it. And now I want each of you to extend that same intensity toward a full-bodied hope and keep at it till the finish. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. I'll share that last bit in the NIV for those of you that are kind of freaking out inside right now. Uh, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy. Remember, it takes no effort for things to get worse. And so... It's, it's not effort to earn. It's effort to grow. That's what we're talking about. So what does that look like? In this series, today we're going to talk about private disciplines. Next week we're going to talk about the circumstances that we experience and how that grows our faith and trust independence, dependence, relationships, practical teaching. And then in the last week, we'll talk about personal Ministry. But the author of Hebrews, it continues. He says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through what? Faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And then the author goes on to talk about Abraham. And if you're familiar with the story of Abraham, you know in the beginning God creates all things, and everything is good, but humanity says, you know what, Uh, we are focused on the one thing that we cannot have, and in disobedience. Humanity chooses not to trust God, and sin enters the picture and messes everything up. First family explodes. Things thinks it's so bad that God has to hit the reset button and floods the earth. Some time goes by and he says, listen, I don't create people and abandon them. I've always got a rescue plan. There's a plan of redemption, and that plan of redemption extends through Abraham. And through his lineage, God is going to reach many, 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 many people. But Abraham does the math and says, I don't know how this is going to work. Because my wife, well, she's up in the years. And so he tries to take things into his own uh, control and tries to to accomplish this promise through his own effort and work. And through a a process of, of trusting God, eventually the great reward that Abraham discovers is ultimately God. Yeah, he's going to be used in his lineage and this, this legacy that he leaves behind, and that we talk about him thousands of years later. But ultimately, what Abraham got, the greatest gift, was this great dependence and faith in God. And that's what these growth catalysts are designed to do. drive us towards trust and dependence in him. What they do is they change who and what we trust. Just like in Abraham's life, God took him through a season, things began to take place, and the outcome of that, it began to change who and what he chose to trust. You see, the discipline of study changes who and what we trust most. When we spend time in God's word, studying it, understanding it, it begins to change where we place our faith, trust, and allegiance, Now, discipline is one of those words, depending on your childhood, maybe there's something within you that's just, okay, discipline wasn't healthy in my household. So there's a little bit of shock when you see that word discipline. But discipline, in the way that we're talking about, is a training. And through that training, it produces a change in character. It changes a pattern of behavior. Again, not to earn, but to grow. Paul talks about putting off the former self, the old self, and embracing the new self. Now, there are many different types of discipline that one could use, and we're talking about some of the private disciplines we see within Scripture today. But I think it's important to talk about that in Christianity, I see this growing trend that we approach it like a potluck. a lot of options out there when it comes to spirituality. And so what, what happens is we like a little bit of this, So we like the new age philosophy, we like some of the mysticism, and that we're gonna pull here and take that here and we're gonna blend that into biblical Christianity and that's how I'm going to experience God. Now, as a church, if we're gonna be a church that is one that's known for its hospitality, hospitality is is not just about setting an environment to welcome people, hospitality is also being open to other people's ideas and thoughts. That's true hospitality. And so if you're here today and you have a different perspective on some of that, I'm glad that you're here and I'd love to have a conversation. But here's where my anchor sets. Some of you have different ways of connecting with God. I'm always going to drift back to the word of God. Well, I I do this thing where I get away in nature and I clear my, okay, great. But, you know, would you get lost in the woods? If you get lost in the woods without a compass, you're going to be in trouble. So if you're going to do that and you're going to disengage and go off and try to hear this unique message from God, make sure that you're bringing the word of God with you because it's the word of God that helps us discern our thoughts, God's thoughts, the enemy's thoughts, and the world's thoughts. Hebrews explains it this way. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, occasionally, my wife trusts me enough to go grocery shopping. And when I go grocery shopping, she, leaves, uh, she gives me a list of things that I'm supposed to get. Now, I am the one in our relationship that often buys things not on the list because I just go, and, oh, that looks good, or I haven't tried that before. But she's also very specific about brands and the the type of food that she buys so that we're not just consuming a bunch of junk at home. And so every once in a while, I'll find myself at the grocery store about to extend to grab that thing that I know that my wife is going to see the look in my eyes when I come through the door. It's like I hear her voice in my head. It's like I can play the conversation forward that if I make this choice, there's going to be a consequence. And at the same time, there are times where it's almost like, you know, um, I don't even have to send her a text. Hey, should I get this item or this item? I just know because I've done it so many times. It's like she's just there. Like, oh, okay, all right, here we go. You know how that happens? Time in a relationship. Getting it wrong. Many times. Course correcting. And suddenly it's like we're in sync with one another. That's what God's word does. As we study it, it becomes like, oh wow, I I know what God would want for me in this situation. Instinctually, I'm going to respond this way. Here's another. The discipline of memorizing scripture changes who and what we trust most. So if we go to uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, there are many examples of, of those that by faith accomplish great things for the purposes of God, incredible things. So we have examples of, of people, but then towards the end of the chapter, we have uh, an example of a moment, an historical moment where faith was demonstrated. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Now, it was essential for Israel to conquer Jericho to take possession of the promised land. To, to set forth in, in motion what God had promised and said he was going to do, it was, it was essential. Sometimes when I watch uh, sports, I enjoy on ESPN, they have this probability tracker of the probability of that team winning the game. So it's like as things go on, it goes 50, 60, 70 percent. If that existed during this time, the probability uh, for God's people uh, overcoming what was ahead of them, not very good. I mean, the, the team was a, was a bunch of untrained men that had been wandering the desert for like 40 years. Like, this is what we have, and here we go. And, and the plan, the game plan is, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be really quiet, and then you are going to go around the, the walls a few times, and the next group, they're going to come and do this thing, and then at the end, there's going to be this loud triumphant, and the, the walls are going to come crumbling down. It's like, really? That, that's the game plan? Yes. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. And so by faith, they trusted God's instructions, and by faith, uh, God led them to victory. And out of this came a generation, unlike the generation coming out of Egypt, a generation that was marked with faith and enthusiasm for what God might do. And so in the sports world, after such an account takes place, right, they interview the different sports players, like. You know, and they're like, I got to give all glory to God. And they do this whole thing, like, all right, you know, I'm one with him. And then they say, well, tell us a little bit about what, what led to your success. Well, if they were interviewing Joshua, this is what he would have said. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, in that moment of, I'm not really sure how this is gonna work out, and you're looking at the team, I'm not sure how this is gonna work, the team, the instructions, it was by faith. This was was a discipline that had been developed, but the word of God was on the lips of this leader. Again, the discipline of memorizing scripture changes who and what we trust most. Uh, I have the privilege of hanging out with some guys on, on Wednesday morning. This week it came up uh, about what wouldn't it be nice if God could just audibly tell us what we need to do in life. And I'm a big fan of uh, football. And so my mind drifts to that on the field there's a couple of players and they have this green sticker on the back of their helmet. And those are the players that get direct access to the coach. And so they can have a conversation up to a certain amount of seconds before the ball is snapped. And I'm thinking, man, if it could work with God in that way, that'd be amazing. I'd be like Peyton Manning up at the line of scrimmage, calling audibles like Omaha. You know, like God just whispers, hey, your daughter's bringing a man home. Uh, He's a vegetarian and he's a Bills fan. I'm going, Omaha, Omaha, not gonna happen. You know, like you're gonna make a financial decision Right? And God's saying, no, I wouldn't do that. So you're just like hand-checking to your wife, like, nope, not gonna do that. It'd be amazing. And yet, God says, hey, but listen, um, here's the deal. There's like 66 books that I have communicated, and you probably haven't figured it out all yet. And so I've given you everything that you need. And the more that you study it, the more that you commit it to memory, it's like we're having a conversation all day long. Here's another. The discipline of of prayer changes who and what we trust most. You know, before I go, I said vegetarian, and every time I throw out something, inevitably I'm gonna have someone in the lobby say to me, you know, I'm a vegetarian. Listen, I got nothing against vegetarians. In fact, last week I said, go buy land in the state of Montana, and someone from the state of Montana was here and so they're at the co- like, hey, what do you, what's up with Montana? I'm like, I just chose a state with a lot of land. All right. Anyways, that one's free. Um, the discipline of prayer changes who and what we trust most. So there is several types of prayer within the scriptures. There's prayer of thanksgiving, which, praise God, that culturally that's still one of those prayers that, you can do and not have there be issues. Like if you're around people that are not of faith or not God people or following after Jesus, usually you can say, "Can we say take a moment to say thank you?" or or to have you know, "Can we uh, grace uh, you know take a moment to say grace together?" Prayers of adoration, praise, praising God for who He is and His works and His accomplishments. Supplication. It's interesting. Supplication, as you read it through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, looked a lot different. People on their knees, begging, crying out to God. It's not like, you know, God, it would be nice if you could just change this. It's like, no, there's a holy discontent here in this moment. And I'm asking God, I'm crying out to you. And then there's petition, Uh, you know, stepping in for someone else and and lifting them up in prayer. And then confession, saying, hey, God, here's your standard. This is who you are and your, your holiness and righteousness. And I fall short of that. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes lives, and if you look at the scriptures as an historical document, you would see that prayer changes history. They prayed, and then God moved. And the author of Hebrews reminds us that even Jesus made prayer a priority. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. And then James, who spent a lot of time growing up with Jesus, says this about prayer. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sin, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I wanna just share how I've experienced prayer to be both powerful and effective in my life as of late. But to do that, I have a little bit of a confession. I think sometimes people think pastors are like superhero Christians. It's like, and and that extends sometimes to like the pastor's wife, like they're, you know, June Cleaver, like just like the perfect Stepford wife, like, hey, how's everybody doing? It's great, like our white life is wonderful and we just gotta connect and smooth in the lobby and sometimes people think that, you know, pastor's kids, like we just, they're just never disobedient. They're like robot Christians programmed to do what their parents tell them to do all the time. And then we sit around the dinner table and it's like Bible trivia, Sure, Dad. I'll take uh, Old Testament Theology for four hundred, (laughs) please. As they're eating their chicken nuggets, just all Jesus all the time in a pastor's household. Well, that's true. No, it's not. It's not. We're 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 just as messed up, and we have struggles and we have problems in our life. When my wife and and I started uh, dating. We very, very soon discovered how different we are when it comes to our devotions. So we, would, we go through a devotion together, and she's stuck on, like, the relationships. Like, did you read that story and how it affected that family? I'm like, no, I skipped over that to, like, the one thing I need to grasp and understand and put into practice. And so we, we just didn't connect in that way. And so the, the pride within me was like, you do your thing, and I'll do my thing. And, you know, I, I wish I could say that, you know, our, our prayer life through the 10 years of life has been so rich. And like, if we could just write a book, like this is what you should do when it comes to praying together. But we, listen, I gotta be honest. Prayer together is a new adventure for me and my wife. Because here's what happened. So I, I've shared like the, the roller coaster ride that it's been like as of late. I shared that last week. And so... I said to my wife, you know, there's something that we are not doing that maybe we ought to do. And I'm a visionary, so I've got like a 1,000 ideas a day. And so when I say that to my wife, she's like, oh boy, where's this gonna go? And so I said, you know, what if, what if at night we prayed together? Like held hands and, and just the lament, like we lament together. We give praise together. We we thank God together. We, we petition on the behalf of others together. And, and gentlemen, if you're not doing this with your wife, let me tell you what began. What has was this really uh, touched me in a meaningful way? All of a sudden, I feel my wife's heaviness and I feel the burdens and the things that are heavy on her heart as I listen to her have a conversation with God. There's this new connection that, that takes place. And then she hears my heart and the things that keep me up at night. And this amazing thing is happening. So changing who and what we trust through the private discipline of prayer. You know, sometimes it's like two minutes. So I'm not saying it's like this rich, amazing, uh, you know, the, the mountains are moving around us as the Ryerson household, no, it's not it. But in those moments, it's meaningful, it's intentional, and it's changing who and what we trust. Now, there are several disciplines. I've only listed three through study, memorizing scripture and prayer. Uh, Willard has a list, uh, Dallas Willard, if you've read some of his material, he talks about solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, uh, secrecy, uh, and sacrifice, uh, foster celebration of disciplines, another author where there's a long list. And sometimes I remember uh, being a new Christian showing up to church and hearing a message like this and being like, oh man, I got homework to do. I don't want you to walk away overwhelmed, I'm pick one. Just pick one. Maybe it's, I need to in- intentionally study God's word or I'm gonna start to put God's word to memory or I'm going to intentionally enter into prayer. Maybe I'm gonna study, why, why did they fast and what's the significance of that? What is God trying to accomplish through that discipline? But again, the reward is deepening our trust and dependence with him. I was reminded in my study this week of this, that discipline happens when the goal is more valuable than the sacrifice. So it's, it's going to cost you something to make this a priority in your life. But I bet you would say that if you were to be honest and take a self-assessment and say, I wanna grow in my relationship with God and there's this depth that's lacking, and you were to list out those things, I bet you'd find two different types of categories. Those, that you, those things that you need to produce in your life and those things that need to be prevented in your life. I'll explain it this way. I'm sure we'd all say, I would like a little bit more love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I would like more of that in my life. And this is, okay, you're not a God person, you're not a church person, we're glad you're watching online, but you gotta agree, if your marriage was filled with, with a few of these things, you'd have to say, wow, things would be different at home. If our work environments were characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, wow, that's a place that I wanna go and work. If our church was just, uh, I mean, I just love Eastern Hills. There's so much love, joy, peace, forbearance, and, and believe me, some people say this about our church and I'm grateful, but the point is, you know, that if we were overflowing with this, every seat in this auditorium would be filled. And at the same time, if we look at this list, we'd say, I'd like to prevent these things in my life. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Oh gosh, is it over yet? No, it's not. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's some news that I think is helpful and hopeful habits produce or prevent outcomes. These private disciplines have the capability to produce the outcome that you desire in your life. Love, joy, patience, forbearance, self-control, a deep growing relationship with Jesus. And they also have the ability to prevent those things in your life that get in the way of your relationship with Jesus and begin to destroy the relationships that matter most to you. But it takes effort not to earn, but to grow. So years ago, I had a, a coach coach. Coach Watson, and when I was in little league, I had developed this uh, scoop in my swing. And what would happen is every time I'd swing, the bat would hit like this uppercut, right? So he he one day at practice said, "This is what I'm going to do." He put a folding chair on home plate, and I said, "I want you to." He said, "I want you want you to practice swinging down and through the ball." And I kid you not, every time I was just so frustrating. I can hear the dinging of just the bat hitting the back of the chair. And so I would go home and I would practice. And eventually, eventually, the swing changed. And I can still remember, and it wasn't even a game, it was a practice, watching the ball hit the bat and then fly over the fence. I mean, it's practice. And I threw my bat down like it was game seven in the World Series, like I had just arrived. But I share this because a couple things happened in this moment. One, as I got to experience something that I hadn't experienced before, but it also taught me the importance of habits and producing things in my life that I wanted, preventing things in my life that I didn't want, and that I could trust my coach. That that he saw something that needed to change and I needed to trust him in that way. Our private disciplines in our life do exactly that. They help us experience a depth and a relationship with our Savior that we've not yet experienced. They prevent things in our life that we don't want there. They produce things in our life that we want and they develop that trust and dependence that God is faithful and worthy of our trust. One pastor says it this way, what feels like a sacrifice now will feel like an investment later This is the gospel. The author of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song that we sung earlier, and that song is, is to help us think through what was happening on the cross. And so the sacrifice was Christ giving up his life being physically beaten, spat upon, humiliated. That was the sacrifice. The investment was every person that would turn and place their faith and allegiance and trust in Christ and Christ alone. This is what's modeled to us through the gospel. So when it comes to following after Jesus, it might feel like a sacrifice, but it will feel like an investment later on. As the band comes up, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Would you pray with me this morning? Well, Heavenly Father, I'm marked by the words in Hebrews of let's let's get on with it. Let's grow. And yet, as one that is constantly set back by sin, we confess that we need your help. That we don't naturally drift in the direction of discipline. So God, we're grateful that the Spirit dwells within us. That you're not a God that's that's twenty steps ahead does like that we're trying to catch up with. No, your word says that you literally live within us. And that's just hard for us to comprehend, but it's true. God, I pray this week for those here today that you would give them the courage and strength to identify one of these disciplines and to help them see what it might do in their life if they took it seriously. And for those that showed up today that are far from you, would you help them to consider the words of this next song and the fact that your son laid down his life so that others could choose life? And would you give them the strength and confidence to do that today, to choose your son Christ as their savior? Father, help us to be a church that is dependent upon you and you alone. It's in your son Christ's name that we pray, amen. Let's sing.